Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thank you, Amber. All right. Well done. And uh, I'm glad to be here with you virtually, uh, even though things are different. Uh, really, the important things remain the same. Um, in that we can continue to worship God, continue to love one another, and uh, we want to continue the sermon series that uh, we have been doing called Emotionally Healthy Community. Um, Actually, we think the timing of this series is uh, very fortunate because uh, this crisis has stirred up so much emotion. And so the principles uh, of the series are uh, as applicable now, probably more so, than normally. And today I'm going to be speaking about uh, living incarnationally. In other words, making the incarnation our model for living. And so let's just jump into it. Emotional healthy community. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This was from uh, John 1, 1, very famous verse, uh, speaking about how Jesus existed. And in in this verse, Jesus is referred to as the Word, because a few verses down, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus existed eternally. He is God, always has been God, always will be God. God exists mysteriously in three persons, uh, the Father, uh, Jesus, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're, they're one God, we worship one God, but we see throughout Scripture them revealed as three distinct individuals. Jesus would pray to the Father, uh, and in different places Jesus would speak about the Holy Spirit coming. And so we see there's distinction, but uh, clearly throughout all of Scripture there's one God. So the three in one is... Uh, uh, Um, uh, an important aspect, and I think it's a defining aspect of Christianity that uh, another place says God is love. And uh, how can there be love if there's not someone to love? And so even in the Trinity, we see the expression of of love and that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Holy Spirit loves the Father. There's this this interaction of love. So, So in that, God existing eternally, Uh, together, but there was a moment when the Word became flesh, and that is the incarnation. And that's a big word. It just means embodied in flesh, in human form. And incarnate, or the incarnation, is is based, actually, if I remember correctly, it's a Latin word, and it's very similar to the Spanish, carne means meat. And so if you get chili con carne, it's chili with meat, <clears throat> all right? But uh, so con is, is in, in Spanish with, and carne is uh, based on the Latin root uh, for flesh, for meat. And so con carne is with meat, in carne, or incarnate is 
in me. And so Jesus came in the flesh. And the mystery we can never figure out intellectually, but we can believe that Jesus, God, the eternal, embodied himself in human form. And uh, throughout Scripture, uh, God is seen actively involved in humanity and in creation. So from Genesis, God was incarnate. He, he existed within his creation. He interacted with his creation. He was not detached, far off. No, he was very present. But the fullest expression of that aspect of God's incarnate uh, nature is in the person of Jesus Christ. So... Um, Things change significantly for us when Jesus then, God incarnate, turns to his disciples and he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is in John 20, 21 through 22. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. <gasps> this means that as Jesus was sent to live incarnate in human form, we are also called to live incarnationally. And like Christ being fully God and fully human, we also, obviously, we're fully human. We start out fully human. But are filled with God by His Holy Spirit. <laughs> this is exciting, guys. We, we get to be like Christ, even in this way. Jesus started out fully God and took on humanity. We start out fully human and take on, inherit, are indwelt with the fully God nature through the Holy Spirit. Wow, this is incredible. And we are sent, as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends us as his disciples into the lives of others in a similar way that Jesus entered into the lives of humanity. All right, so Jesus came and entered in. He got into the dirt. He got into the mess of humanity, right to the, the, the core of it. And in the same way, we are called to live filled with the uh, divine nature through the Holy Spirit, but also to get into the lives of others, to, to get out into the world. And that's what this means, uh, living incarnationally. And another way that we can view this idea is found in Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. He says to them, and, and he's saying to you and I, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, it says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Right now, once you accept Christ, you become the body of Christ uh, as a whole, referring to the, the whole church, but also individually, you're part of that body. And Scazzaro, the author of the book that we're using as a reference for this series, writes it this way. He says, today, God still has physical skin and can be seen, touched, heard, and tasted. How? Through his body, the church, in whom he dwells. We are called in the name of Jesus and by the indwelling Holy Spirit to be skin for the people around us. Wow, this 
this change it needs this should change the way we think about our lives that we are the body of Christ do you realize what this means is that for many people you are the closest thing they will ever experience to experiencing God they can they can get to know God through you through your physical presence your body because we're Christ's body, and when we walk into the room, when we walk into someone's life, when we listen to them, when we talk to them, when we pray for them, when we just shake their hands, when we walk by them, when we wave from a six-foot distance, <laughs> we are Christ in our community. We bring the kingdom. Uh, and, and believing that and living that and stepping into that is, is what we're called to. And we need to ask ourselves, how can we make this real? How can we make this practical? How can we actually do this? And so there's three dynamics of living incarnationally that Peter Scazzaro identifies, and uh, I believe that they're very sound and they're very uh, appropriate. And so we're just going to investigate that. So the three dynamics, the first one is entering another's world. Just like Jesus came and entered into the humanity's world, we are called to live incarnationally by entering into other people's worlds worlds, other people's lives. You know, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and if there's um, one thing I've learned uh, during this journey more than anything else is that I know less than I think. The longer I'm a pastor, the more I'm convinced uh, that, I, that I know less and less. Okay, it's, it's kind of scary, but it's true. <laughs> Every person's experience is unique. Uh, and it's really an arrogant thought if I were to think that I know what someone else is going through. That's arrogance. Okay. Now, it's true that I have knowledge and wisdom because I have experience or I've been with people when they've been through similar experiences. I don't know how many people that I have uh, counseled and, and nurtured through difficult times of, of illness or marriage problems or problems with their children or young people have problems with life and there's there's so many situations that I've stepped into people's lives and helped them but because everyone is unique and they feel things differently I don't I don't assume I know how they're they're reacting even though I do have wisdom and we all have wisdom and knowledge to share but that's different we need to first listen we need to we need to enter in and hear where they're at and where they're coming from. And the, the only way that we can actually do that is by listening. And so listening becomes a primary way that we can enter into someone else's world, someone else's life, and hear uh, and experience what they're uh, experiencing. Uh, this is a quote from the book. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Yeah. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, it's no difference. Uh, and that's how important it is for someone to be heard. And you know what? Most people spend most of their life feeling as though no one hears them. No one knows them because no one has taken the time to actually listen to them. 
And so we're going to talk about this. The Bible uh, talks about this many places, but a couple of them are Proverbs 18, 13. It says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. In other words, if you, if you form an answer, if you think you have an opinion about something, before you actually listen to it, if someone's sharing, like your spouse is trying to tell you something and you interrupt them, which of course I never do. <laughs> Sorry, you know, if my wife were here, she would uh, clearly correct you. Yes, we all struggle with that. We all want to answer. And um, before we hear the matter, the Bible tells us, uh, in Proverbs, no, you need to really listen to a matter fully before you answer it. Because if you answer before you fully hear it out, it's actually you being foolish, and it's, it's actually bringing shame on you. Shame on you? Why? Because you didn't listen. Why? Because you wanted to say something. You thought what you had to say was more important than what they had to say. And we're not to live that way. In the New Testament, James uh, writes to the church and says, So then... My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And so we need to be really, in other words, listen first and be quick to hear. But you know what? Just, just kind of hold on your words. Uh, slow down and slow down emotionally. Don't react emotionally to what you hear, whether it's wrath or anxiety or fear or frustration. Don't allow those emotions to come. Uh, too quickly. Listen and hear what's really being, uh, trying to be communicated and, and getting into their world. Listening really is the best way for us to enter into another's world, but we need to learn how to listen because, frankly, very few people know how to do this. And as I was reading this book, it was interesting because uh, this part of the book goes through some tips, and I've adapted these. But it's the exact same thing that I would um, uh, teach and train people in counseling uh, throughout the years, uh, um, especially in marriage counseling. I would teach this type of uh, listening technique, and it's extremely effective. My life was transformed when I learned this technique of listening, and I, and I want to teach it to you. So you give your full attention... Don't prep your answer. When you're listening incarnationally, um, and the natural way to do it is when someone's talking or when you're listening to something on TV, your brain can process information, like I forget this number, it's 100 or 1,000 times faster than words can come in. All right? And so your brain is already gearing up an answer uh, for whatever they're saying. And you need to intentionally choose to not do that, but really concentrate on the words that someone is expressing. Not only the words, but their, their body language, their tone. You need to try to, and then you also need to listen with your gut. You need to really hear them out and not allow your brain to start uh, forming an answer. And of course, you avoid any form of judgment or interpreting or interrupting. And so this is important to understand. <clears throat> judging, we all know that judging is making a judgment. This person's right, that was wrong, whatever it may be. Or interpreting. The listening stage is simply listening. Okay, you need to gather the right, all, as much information as you can before you begin a process of 
interpreting what it means um, or interrupting. Let's, let them finish whole sentences and, 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 and not uh, interrupt while they're speaking. Uh, reflect back as accurately as you can what you heard them say, word for word if possible. And that's the real trick. And I, I actually teach this as a, I say this is like a secret weapon. This is a, a secret tool that when someone says something to you, if you repeat back to them word for word what they said, about 90% of the time, possibly even more, they'll say, no, that's not what I mean. Even though you repeat back word for word what they said. Test this out and, and let me know what you find, especially if it has to do with something emotional. If someone's going through a hard time, they'll say something and you'll say, so you mean, and you repeat back the same words, and they'll go, no, that's not quite what I mean. And the reason for that is, um, this is actually quite interesting, um, that we need the, uh, uh, in order for our, our frontal cortex, the, part, uh, uh, the higher understanding part of our brain, to um, work and to engage in a problem and to come to clarity, it, they, it needs to be activated verbally. And so when someone says something, they, they find words and they say it, and then when they hear it back, their brain goes, no, that's not, that doesn't quite line up. And, that, and then you're giving them an opportunity to choose better words. And so that process can actually go back and forth four, five, eight, ten times sometimes before the person finds the words that accurately reflect what they're feeling. But if you don't uh, give them that feedback, they never get to that place, and you'll never actually enter into their world and know what they're feeling. Try to feel when you're listening incarnationally, when you're in this spot, and now realize this is what you do when you're sitting down and having a meaningful conversation with someone. This is not every conversation, please. <laughs> Most conversations are just, hey, how you doing? Great, that's fine, that's great. But when, you're, when someone's sharing something in, uh, personal or a struggle uh, with uh, husbands and wives and marriages, you need to practice doing this at least once a day. You should have a conversation on this level. Um, uh, and if you're not, then that leads to breakdown in relationship. But we need to learn how to do that. And then try to feel what they're feeling. So try to get beyond the words and enter into Gosh, I wonder what they're feeling. Allow your feelings to, you know, just step into that. Wow, what must it be like? And again, it's not saying that what they felt was legitimate because people react emotionally disproportionately to uh, events. And so someone may feel really angry and you might say, well, that's not really a good reason to be angry. That's judging, okay? You want to feel what they're feeling, so that you can say, well, I can really understand how you could feel that way if, if that happened. Uh, if that happened to me, I would probably feel that way as well. Um, and so uh, it's allowing your feelings to go there a little bit. And then ask the person. These are some of the good questions to, to, to help them uh, um, reveal more clearly where they're coming from. Ask, their, ask them, is there more? Is there something else? Is there something else that happened in that situation, or is there something else that you experienced or felt? Um, again, how did that make you feel? So when this person did this, 
how did that make you feel? I was in a uh, situation not that long ago with a group of people, and this one person was extremely offended by another person, um, and uh, everyone was were pastors, they were leaders, and um, this one person would say, uh, repeat uh, what the other person had did, and I would say, well, when he did that, rather than argue whether or not he did it, I said, uh, sir, when, when he did that, as you describe, how did you feel? And the person would uh, say, well, what he did was wrong because he did this and this. And I'd say, thank you. Um, when that happened, how did you feel? And I'm serious. It was, I, I, I said that at least five or eight times. And... Um, the individual was not able to express a feeling. And so we let it pass and it came up again. And finally, my associate who was with me also said, wait a minute, how did you feel? I want to know how you felt. Everybody wanted to know how he felt. And he finally got to the place where he was able to say, well, I, I felt afraid. I was, I was scared. <gasps> so underneath the accusation of inappropriate behavior was a feeling of fear. And if you don't get to the feeling level, you can never resolve the misunderstanding, which it, it was simply a misunderstanding uh, of, uh, of what was said. But the fear had to be addressed. And then uh, asking, of all the things you've said, what's the most important? What do you want me to remember? Because, you know, you say a lot of things, and if you go, okay, what, what's the most important of all the stuff you've said? And say, so maybe you've been talking either 10 minutes, 15 minutes, of everything you've said, what's the most important? And it gives the opportunity for the people uh, sharing their experiences, their feelings, to zero in on what is important for them. And then, of course, <clears throat> always validate others before you, you begin to give a response. So let them know that they're loved, they're appreciated, and they're respected before you do share. And it is appropriate to share a response. Now, if you're the one who is sharing, if you're speaking, if you're... You need to learn how to do this properly, too. And so use I statements rather than you statements. Talk about your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires. And so it, it's not helpful in a, a, a situation to go, well, you always say this, or you always do that, or they always are, 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 are judgmental and, and don't respect me. Okay, that's a very judgmental and disrespectful thing to say. <laughs> but instead of saying, they are always that way or you are always that way, you need to stop and go, when you say that or when you do that, it makes me feel uh, uh, not respected. Well, that's a total different thing. You're not judging them that they're being disrespectful respectful. You're just sharing that when a person acts at a particular way or says a particular thing, you feel like you're not being respected or you feel like you're not loved. So use I statements. I feel, I thought, what I heard was, that's totally different than you said or you did. You say, what I heard was such and such. And they'll go, well, that's not what I said. And don't say, yes, it is what you said. Don't argue about the words. Just go, well, what, what did you mean to say? Because this is what I heard, or this is what I, what I saw happening. And it gives people opportunity to clarify themselves. Keep your statements brief, unlike this sermon. <laughs> Just a joke. 
<laughs> in those times, the, the, the briefer the statement, the better it is, uh, the better uh, uh, you'll have a chance of communicating clearly. So don't go a long, extended uh, expression. Just try to say it in a sentence or two, um, uh, what you felt, what you experienced. And then uh, allow the person who's listening to you to paraphrase back what you've said. So that's why you need to keep it short. If it's too long, they won't be able to repeat. And so this, this incarnational listening is, is, is something that we need to practice with our uh, loved ones, practice with friends. And it's okay to say, hey, listen, can we just practice this? And um, in fact, in our community groups, if we were doing those, I was going to have a time where people broke into a group of two and practice going back and forth. It's really a powerful thing. And it'd be patient uh, if they didn't understand. In other words, if you say something and they, repeat, uh, they paraphrase it back and they totally don't get it, don't get upset. This is the process. You then need to express it a different way and they'll paraphrase it back. And then after, sometimes it takes four, five, eight, ten times to finally narrow it down. And often, in my experience, when I've done this, uh, when I've been the one trying to share something, it's like it takes a number of times and then I go, yeah, that's actually what I felt. You know, or the person that I'm, I'm listening to, they get it as well as me getting it because of this process. And of course, include, as you're speaking, include feeling statements. Feeling uh, is uh, the, so, it's so important that we get to the emotional level because underneath ideas and mo- motivations and judgments, there's, this, there's the level of feeling that is actually driving most uh, 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 concepts, ideas, um, behavior patterns, emotions are underneath all of that. And of course, always be honest, always be clear, uh, direct, and respectful. And by being honest, it doesn't mean you have to tell all. In, in, certainly, in, you need to be in a safe environment with a safe person. And sometimes... You know, if you're talking about a specific thing, it's okay to not divulge everything in your life. All right? that, that, uh, um, but there should be someone in your life that you can divulge everything. Um, and don't withhold information that distorts what you're saying. Um, so, so be honest, be clear, be direct and respectful in, in your talking. All right, so that's how we listen and respond <clears throat> um, incarnationally, getting into other people's lives. The second aspect of living incarnational is holding, or dynamic of living incarnational, is holding on to yourself. This is super important. And I love this passage uh, from uh, John, uh, chapter 13. <clears throat> Uh, I'm going to quote this from the book. The Apostle John records that prior to Jesus washing his disciples' feet, it says, He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus never ceased to be God when he took on human flesh. And so just prior to the story, a part of the, uh, the gospel story, when we see Jesus uh, getting down on his hands and knees, taking the role of the most lowly of servants by washing his, his disciples' feet. 
before he did that act of humility, it says that he knew that the Father had put him, had given him all power. So he knew his position of authority and power. And he knew where he came from. He came from God. And he knew where he was going to. He was going back to God. So he knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew where he was going. And he knew who he was. And out of that understanding of who he was, he was able to humble himself. Um, he was able to hold on to himself in the midst of humbling himself and serving others. And so the same way, when we step into another's lives, we need to, re- uh, we need to remain ourselves. And this is, this is important. This is much more difficult for some people than others. If you are a high responder, for example, you have a lot of empathy. Uh, uh, often you may be so overwhelmed by the emotions and the situation of someone else that you feel like you've, you're losing your own identity. And that's, that's not healthy. Okay? That's not what Jesus did. He knew who he was, he knew his authority, and he was able to serve others and get down on their level without losing himself. And in the same way, we need to have a healthy understanding of who we are, where we've come from, and that we're going, like Jesus, to be with the Father forever, that no matter what happens to us, no matter what this individual is going through, no matter what we have to, how, how humiliated or humbled we have to be to love others, we know that that doesn't change who we are, and it doesn't change where we're going, okay? That we can do it with confidence and not lose ourselves in another person's life, but step into another person's life to help them find themselves, So so if we lose ourselves, we we, uh, lose our identity. And and the way this shows up is that you you may become afraid to say what you really think. This is after listening carefully and understanding thoroughly. You don't want to say something because they may may misunderstand you. Well, everybody misunderstood Jesus. Um, It didn't stop him from saying. Um, They crucified him. Uh, but it didn't change who he was. And so he was willing and able to do that. Uh, At the same time, when he was humbling himself and stepping into uh, uh, other people's lives. And so we see that perfect balance of living incarnationally in Jesus' life. It enables us to hear and empathize with others, but still maintain boundaries that safeguard ourselves. All right, and that's really, really important. And it also allows us to understand and accept others, even if we strongly disagree with them. So this is super important. In order to live this way, you need to be able to strongly disagree with someone but at the same time, communicate um, love. Uh, how can you do that? You, you realize that listening to them and, and accepting where they're at is not uh, agreeing with what they feel or what they think. Jesus didn't approve of the behavior of the woman caught in adultery. But he took the time. To, to, to get down on her level. 
It says that he, he, he knelt down and he just, he, he, he spent time there. It says he drew, was writing something in sand. We don't know what he wrote. But he took time and he got down on that level and he, he spoke to her words of comfort and words of correction. Of course she didn't agree. What she did was, was, was so destructive to her, to others, and to society. But um, he, because he had an understanding of who he was and, and where he came from and where he is going, it didn't challenge his identity to be caring and to be um, uh, concerned for this woman caught in this act, that he was able to minister to her in a way that helped her. If you know you are safe in your identity, uh, you will not respond defensively when others disagree. So once you get into defensiveness, uh, then that then becomes an argument instead of a conversation. And that, that, that rarely helps anyone. And so uh, knowing who you are, you can hear things that that uh, you strongly disagree with, but you don't react emotionally, and you're able to minister the love of Christ. And it, it really does open up the door for speaking correction, because people will hear um, where, you're com- where you're coming from and hear uh, gospel truth uh, if they know that you care for them. That's the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this is the way that you care for them. Uh, dynamic number three of living incarnationally is hanging between two worlds. Hanging between two worlds. Listen, we celebrate the incarnation, but the incarnation did not bring us salvation. All right, it's a very important part. Jesus coming to earth as a human was not what brought salvation to mankind. It was an important step, but something else had to happen. It's Christ's death on the cross that brought salvation to mankind. All right? <clears throat> Jesus hung literally between heaven and earth when he hung on that cross. He was lifted up off the earth and he was hanging on that cross. cross Uh, depicting the spiritual reality of Jesus reaching up into the heavenlies to connect the fallen humanity on earth. Christians, you and I, likewise are called to be the conduit of heaven and earth. How? By, By dying to ourselves. All right? Certainly, bringing heaven to earth means praying and seeing miracles. That's a big part of heaven and earth, and that, 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 uh, that terminology has been popularized by um, Bill Johnson and, and Bethel. I mean, they've just done a phenomenal job, and I agree with it. Uh, I, I love that stuff, and I've been uh, privileged to meet Bill Johnson and be in small group uh, sessions with him, and um, and over the years, the impact that uh, uh, calling heaven down to earth and believing God to uh, show himself miraculously. But remember <laughs> that this also means dying on the cross, dying to ourselves, dying to our own needs for the sake of others. That's living incarnationally. And it's that that brings salvation. Um, and, and when we're called to uh, be sent 
by Jesus, like Jesus was sent by the Father, it means not only living incarnationally, but being willing to die as an expression, die to ourselves as an expression of communicating the love of God. And so it's very important that we understand that if, um, in order to be, uh, uh, in order to uh, receive salvation, in order to receive freedom from the bondage of sin and destructive lifestyle patterns, in order to have relationship with the Father, relationship with God that delivers us from uh, eternally being separated from Him and enables us to be eternally in unity with Him. Uh, and what the phrase to go to heaven means, all right, in order to be saved is that we believe not only that Jesus came and lived on earth as a man, but He died on that cross to gain us salvation, all right? Believing that to be true and confessing that, uh, uh, confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that's what, uh, 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 that's what it means to become a Christian, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, uh, that you believe that he's going to come again and, and redeem the whole world um, and uh, you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. That is salvation, all right? That's what happened on the cross. But then we step into that. Once we believe that, and, 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 and as Jesus told his disciples, he breathed on his disciples and they received the Holy Spirit, then we receive Holy Spirit and we are able to live Christ-like lives. And so maybe you're listening to this and you've never accepted Jesus. In this time of crisis, we need to know where we're going. How do we know where we're going? Is that we believe that what Jesus did, he did for me. It doesn't mean we understand how it all works. I don't understand how Jesus' death on the cross somehow takes the penalty for my sins away from me. But I believe that it does. Uh, because he said it does. Uh, and God's word proves it. And I believe it because I see the transformation in other people's lives when they believe it. And I've seen tra total transformation, tra uh, transformation in my life as a result of coming to the place where I said, okay, I, I accept Jesus as Lord of my life. I accept his death on the cross as payment for my sin. And guilt lifts off. Shame lifts off. And I'm no longer compelled to do sinful things like I used to do. Okay, and so that is, that is the purpose of incarnation uh, for Jesus was to die on that cross. But you know what? He still lives in a human body. And so it was to redeem humanity so that we could live uh, fully connected with God as well as fully being human. And we step into that and we, we live that. We're called to live that now. Not just in the resurrection, folks. In the resurrection, it'll be easier because the influence of the enemy will completely be removed and uh, there will be no more sin. We have the power to live like Jesus lived in the midst of a sin-filled world. We have the power because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to live incarnationally now. And I love how Paul expresses this to the church in Philippi. And now remember, when he wrote this, Paul was in... Um, uh, confinement. <laughs> he was shelter in place, uh, not willingly, 
forcefully. He was imprisoned in a Roman uh, dungeon. And um, he had been given the death sentence. At any moment, uh, he d- would not know if the guard walking down the hallway to his, his prison cell was bringing him something to eat or bringing uh, him to take him to the chopping block, uh, uh, which is the form of execution that uh, Roman citizens endured. Um, and so uh, that was a very, very real possibility. And earlier in the letter to the Philippi- Philippians, he talks about that very thing, that he could die at any moment. And so his letter at this moment, now, thankfully we do know that uh, he, was, um, uh, uh, he was released from prison and ended up living many more years uh, and uh, continued to minister. But it, when he wrote this, it, he was facing a death sentence. But he wrote this to the church expressing some of the things he felt most sincere about. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, be in unity. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This is incarnational living. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is, think this way, because this is the way Jesus thought. This is living incarnationally. Who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to equal be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. And so there's a promise here that as Christ lived out uh, a life of humility, it then uh, uh, enabled him to enter into the blessing of being exalted above all else. So the promise that we see Christ inherit, we also are promised because the Bible says that we will uh, be co-heirs with Christ. If we, if we die with him, we will live with him. We will be seated in heavenly places with him. And so the same promise is extended to us. And when we live sacrificially, when we live incarnationally, we, we have the promise that eternally we will live with Christ with all the riches and the glory and the power um, uh, that we will share with him for eternity. And so we can live with the promise, knowing where we're going, uh, even though it may mean suffering in the moment. Okay, just in conclusion, the three dynamics of incarnational living is entering into another's world, and really the best way to do that is through learning how to listen well, uh, holding on to yourself, knowing your identity, knowing where you're going from and where you're going to, and then hanging between the two worlds, being the conduit between heaven and earth for others. Uh, consistent practicing this type of lifestyle will enable us and those in our lives to grow spiritually and become more emotionally mature.